the name of Jesus, the wonderful, glorious, holy name. Yes, Jesus. Let's ask you to remain staying just a smidge longer. So we go to Pastor's text this morning. Just one verse of scripture. Psalm 50, verse 15. Let there be light. <laughs> Psalm 50 was good. Verse 15. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. I'm going to read it one more time. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Lord, we praise your name. Give our pastor liberty, power, anointing, and freedom, Lord Jesus, to deliver your word today. And let us receive that word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. I hope I have that power like Zach. If I were going to roam around in darkness, I want him to be there. Let there be light, and boom, there was light. Amen. It's good to see everybody in the house of the Lord this morning. We trust that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving and that you're going to enjoy this holiday weekend together with your family. We're so thankful that the Lord has blessed you, and I'm thankful that you're here today. Uh, I want to read the text one more time in Psalms 50 and 15. David's saying, and call upon me in the day of trouble. He's writing this, and it's the Lord saying it. And he says, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Now, today I want to preach to you a very simple, basic sermon that the Lord has placed upon my heart here for this uh, Thanksgiving weekend. It's going to go a total different way, and the Lord just kind of directed me to this. It's actually going to be a very short three-point sermon, but it's going to be very simple and something that all of us in this building is going to be able to relate to. There are times when we come to the house of God without a shadow of a doubt, that is that the, some sermons relate to us and some sermons don't. There are segments in the sermon that relate to us, there are segments that don't relate to us. And there's no way that a preacher is going to be able to get up here and hit every single person right where they live every single Sunday because everybody's on different levels, everybody's in different places, and God directs those messages differently to where people are at and who needs it the worst. But this message will be able to relate to every single one of us. In our text, we see a problem, a promise, and we see a praise. And sometimes we don't even think that these words can actually go together. Words such as promise, Problem and praise. They are so far on the different scriptums. They're so far way out here. In, one's in right field and one's in left field. But yet when you begin to study the word of God, you will find that in the midst of problems, there's always a demand for us to praise. I told you last week that there are two times to praise the Lord. Number one, when you feel like it, and number two, when you don't feel like it. We have talked about how that the scripture says rejoice evermore. Paul said rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. David said, as long as there be breath in my mouth, I will praise the name of the Lord. And we know that we're to praise the Lord at all times for all things because all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and to them who are called according to his purpose. So we understand that principle that we are to praise him. But the first thing the writer of the psalmist acknowledges, he acknowledges that there's going to be times of trouble. He wrote, that the word, he worked, he wrote the words of God expression when he said, call upon me in the day of trouble. He acknowledged
knowledge that there will be times of trouble, there will be day, days of trouble, there can even be seasons of trouble. And sometimes the trouble can last a long period of time, sometimes it can last a, but just a moment of time, but nevertheless, uh, trouble is a way of life. Trouble is a way of life for every single one of us. As a matter of fact, it was James that said, and, uh, or it was Peter, I'm, excuse me, it was Peter that said in 1 Peter 4 and 12, beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which is to try you as some strange thing come upon you. He said, when you find yourself in difficult times, when you find yourself in difficult, don't think it's strange. Don't think it's some strange thing. He said, it is something that is designed by God or allowed by God in order to bring you to the destiny that you need to go because it is your trouble that propels you into your destiny. It's what shoves you. It's what challenges you. It's what brings the element of faith out inside of you. If you never had any trial, there would never any be need no for faith. And we have to exercise faith in order to build faith. So God allows trials to come our way to build up our faith in the Lord. There are many different meanings to the definition of the word trouble because trouble can come in many different forms of variety of ways. Webster defines it as worry, distress, grief, afflictions, such as a loss of health, wealth, or the loss of a dear loved one. He goes on and he adds a lot of other things to this thing called trouble. A pathological condition such as heart trouble, a troubled emotion, a wounded emotion, adversity, disturbance, molestation, troublesome. And he goes on and on and on pages of what this word trouble can mean and what it can define. Troubles is real. Trouble is real. Trouble invades our lives because we live in a troublesome world. You and I are law living in a fallen world. We are living in a sinful world. And as a result of that, there's trouble. Look around. There's trouble everywhere. Heartache, fear, worry, loss, pain, afflictions, injustices, adversities, diseases, sicknesses, persecution, temptation, trials, storms, tests, and the list goes on and on and on. And some of the greatest men and women in Scripture faced what we call trouble. Abraham faced famine. Joseph faced the injustices of us brothers. Daniel faced the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced the fiery furnace. Paul faced shipwreck, serpent bite, imprisonments, beatings, scourgings, the New Testament church. What did it do? It faced heavy, heavy, heavy persecution. And we could go on and give many, many other instances of people in the Bible that had faced hard difficulties and hard trials. Look at Hannah being provoked day and night by Penal. We could go on and on and on. You cannot read of the faithful without reading of their tests, their storms, their trials, and them facing some kind of trouble. Job said, man that is born of a woman is a few days and it's just full of trouble. Go to chapter 11 of Hebrews and see the list of the faithful and what they endured and it will give you a detailed list of nothing but trouble. Even though it is the, it is the what we call the chapter faith, yet it is also the chapter that reveals the troubles of the saints. David acknowledged in Psalms 34 and 19, many, say many, many are the afflictions of the righteous. David acknowledged that trouble even comes by the way of righteousness. It reigns upon the just and the unjust alike. It comes upon us as well as it does the sinner. Not to cause us to fret or to fear, but Jesus even said that in the last days, troublesome times would begin to increase. He said in Mark 13 and 8, for nation shall rise against nation, kingdom shall rise against kingdom, there shall be earthquakes in divers places. 
and there shall be famines and troubles. And then he says, then this is the beginning of sorrows. It's just the beginning of what's about to take place. In other words, he says, if you think you got trouble now, he said the saints that live in the last days are going to face a lot more trouble than those earlier saints did. Paul affirmed that in the last days, trouble will accelerate again in 1 Timothy 4 and 1. Know this also that in the last days that these perilous times shall come. These difficult times. The word perilous means dangerous or troublesome times. I don't think that I have to be repetitious here today and try to paint you a picture of trouble because you have faced it, I have faced it, we've all faced it, and we still face it. I think that we can relate and see that troubles, troublesome is everywhere. It's not just on the rich, it's not just on the poor, it's not just on the old, it's not just in the young, it's everywhere. Everywhere you look, there seems to be trouble. Our schools are in trouble, our kids are in trouble, our homes are in trouble, our marriages is in trouble, the families are in trouble, our cities are in trouble, our communities are in trouble, our nation is in trouble. But let me just stop and say, folks, our world is in trouble. But even more, even more evident is that our churches are in trouble, especially here within America. Every year for the last 10 years, there has been a decline in churches in America. Not only in the attendance of people not coming to church, but even in the existence of the church. Churches are closing down rapidly. And while they close, while they open about five new churches every so many days, I forget what it is, they're closing 20 in its place. And let me tell you, that means churches will not last and endure like that. This truly is a sign of the last days. There is a great falling away. It's right before our eyes. We see it. I'm not trying to preach a doom and gloom sermon, but this is where we're at. I think that we can all relate to what David penned. Oh, God, help me preach. David said in Psalms 3 and 1 when he said, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Now, look at what David is saying here. David is asking God, Lord, how or why has trouble increased? Have you ever felt the increasing pressure of trouble like you're feeling it today? I want you to know, have you ever thought about asking God the question that David asked? David begins to take an account of his troubles and he says, many are they that rise up against me. What, what's going on here? There was a time in David's life when David literally said over and over and over in scripture, not just once, not just twice, but several times, he said, he said that his, he was at rest with his enemy and that he had peace with his enemy and that he had favor upon his life to where all things were peaceful. Now, wouldn't you like to live in a time like that? David had moments when there was peace. David had such a, a integrity as a king that they were afraid of him. And they said, man, that man, he'll go to battle, he'll go to war, and God is with him. And you know what it done? Out of the strength of David's anointing, out of the strength of David's favor, there came a peace upon the land because people were afraid to go up against him. And there was a time in the earlier days of America when the church had that kind of favor. It had a voice. It had it had an influence. It had a reputation. And that the, the society looked to the church for answers. And they had, they had answers for what was going on in the land. But now no longer does anyone look to the church. Now instead of looking to the church, they run from the church. And now instead of the church having influence, they're fighting 
doubting the church. They're repulsed at the church. The church has lost its power and its authority among, among, among its nation. But I'm here to tell you we're not done and we're not counted out yet. I'm just going to jump ahead of my sermon just a little bit here. I just want to make a comparison here, right here. I feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost. David, here he is. And there was when he was young, he had to earn that favor. And the first parts of his life, when he was young, he was a warrior. And he had to go to war. He started as a young boy, cutting a, cutting a head off of a giant. When no one else could do it, a little red-headed Ruby, Rudy boy, he got out there. He was a little charmer. But I want to tell you, you can call him a ladies' man all you want, and you can call him youth if you want to. They say that he was around 15, 16 years old. All of Israel's army was hiding back up in the hills behind the rocks. And there, and there was King Saul who was a head, shoulder, and taller than everybody else, and he was afraid. And little David come to take his brothers some food and see how they were faring in the army, and he found them all hiding and all afraid. And he looked around and said, what in the world's your problem? I'll fight that giant. And they mocked him. His own brothers mocked him and said he couldn't do it. King Saul mocked him and said he couldn't do it. Don't let it stop there. It didn't start there either because way back there, the prophet Samuel didn't have any faith in him. His dad didn't have any faith in him. His brothers didn't have any faith in him. And his leadership didn't have any faith in him. But I want to tell you, David had a relationship with God that was stronger he had a relationship that was stronger than all the negative forces against him and the power of the anointing negated that negative influence and there he stood as a little 15, 16, 17 year old boy and he said I want to tell you I'll fight him and Saul began to finally cave in started taking his armor off and put it on David but it didn't fit and let me tell you he said I don't need this armor he said he got to that giant's a skilled warrior. He'll kill you, David. You gotta have, you gotta have an armor. He said, you don't understand who and what my armor is. My armor isn't a piece of tin. My armor isn't a helmet. My armor isn't a shield. My armor isn't a sword. My armor isn't all of those things. My armor is in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. David goes out and fights that Goliath and kills him and chops his head off. Already he had killed a bear. Already he had killed a lion with his bare hands. Come on, somebody. He was one tough dude. He was one that may not look like a warrior, but you better not judge him by his appearance because if you'd pick a fight with him, he'd clean your clock. Just like I was a young skinny guy that was getting out of a car and he went into a grocery store. This is a true story. And there was a bully and he was buttoning up the lines and someone said something to him and he just knocked the old guy out, old man. And a woman said, well, you should have done it. Just slapped the woman. And when they did, he, that little boy went up and said, what do you think you're doing? That old man, that, that big old a big old man looked around at him and said, you mind your own business and swung at him. When he did, he ducked. And that little man climbed on him and cleaned his clock and knocked him out. When they got done, the police got there and said, where was everybody else? Did you get any help? He said, no, everybody else is cowards around here. 
They said, how in the world did you, who's 140 pounds, take on this guy that's over 350, 360 pounds, full of muscle? He said, I'm a UFC fighter. Hallelujah. I want you to know something here today. You better know who you're picking on when you're picking on somebody. And we may not look the part, and we may not have it all together, and we may not fit the image the world looks at us. They may call us scrawny, and they may make fun of us and call us sissies. And I want to tell you, but down deep there, we have a warrior mentality. Hallelujah. Our Lord has taught our hands to war. Oh, can I? Oh, somebody needs to stand to their feet and give the Lord some praise in this house. Hallelujah. Somebody's going to get victory in this place today. <laughs> it's kind of one of those sermons. I don't know if I'm going to be able to preach it all. I'm feeling different directions here. But David, he had to earn his right. And I want to tell you when he started killing bears and when he started killing lions and when he started chopping the heads of, of uh, giants off, I want to tell you it got the attention. Come on, somebody. All of a sudden, people say, you know what? We might not want to pick on Israel anymore. They got a different kind of a leader. And he isn't tall like that of Saul. He isn't head and shoulder taller than everybody else. But there's a, he's small in stature. He's not that big. But he's skilled in what he's got. Oh, hallelujah. He's got one mean slingshot, man. And I want to tell you, we better not go up against that man. And there was years and spaces there between his, between his older, mid-age, middle age to his older age of peace from time to time. And But you know what? It struck me of the parallel that all of a sudden at the last days when David got to getting old and he began to, eyes begin to dim and he began to, false in the structure. Guess what the enemy did? The enemy began to try to come back and what happened? He, they tried to take over again because they, they, they lost confidence in David over a spirit of time because of age. And I look at the early church and I look how the, oh, somebody knowing where I'm going here? Look at the early church. It started out in a blaze of glory in an upper room called Pentecost. And then people got filled with the Holy Ghost and went out on the streets and they began to preach and in one day and one sermon by a man by the name of the Apostle Peter, 3,000 souls were added to the church. And you start looking at that, the saints were added to the church daily. And then they started multiplying. And then before long, apostles began to lay hands on the sick and they began to recover. And God began to confirm the word with signs and wonders and miracles. And things began to happen. And guess what began to happen? All of a sudden, that heavy persecution that was upon the church that caused it to grow and cause it to spread over a period of time. You know what began to happen? Exactly what happened in the life of David. The church grew in reputation and in might. And then all of a sudden, years down the line, there became a peace as a result of what the church was and what it stood for and the influence that it had in the land. But then somehow, somehow, after all of these years, We've gotten slothful and we've gotten older in our old age. The church has gotten older. And now we're living in the last days. 
And now the same assault that came upon David in his older age is now the same assault that's coming upon the church. Are you with me? Let's go ahead with David. David sees and experiences the overwhelming flood of trouble that seems to be coming against him. And I can testify, in 36 years of pastoring this church, I have never experienced the level of trouble that God's people are facing and experiencing today. It is just overwhelming, it is plumb ridiculous. Some is self-afflicted, I understand that. But much of what has taken place, the majority, is not caused by wrong decision, nor is it caused by what I would call the act or the consequences of the flesh. There are some people facing what they're facing because they make bad decisions and they reap what they sow. But there are others, there's no reason of some of the things that's going on. It's just a flood of trouble that is being poured out upon God's people. It used to be that a man or a woman would overcome one thing and then they would face something else later. They'd have a time to rest. We called it valleys and we called it mountaintops. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, we're on the mountaintop this season, but then we'll go down in the valleys and that's when we were tried and that's when we were tested. But now it seems that we're faced with multiple things at the very same time. Before we ever overcome our first obstacle, other things seem to be crashing in and appearing on the scene. It's not one thing right after another, but it's multiple things all at once coming at one time. I've never seen it like it is today. And then Peter told us, he said, I want you to know that there is coming a time of manifold, multiple diversity, trials, and temptations. That's where we're at. Everywhere you turn, everywhere you go, everywhere you look, it's just trouble, trouble, trouble. We're bombarded by trouble. I got a call from a school official some time ago, and they were wanting to know if our church would be willing to help to try to get some faith-based teaching into the church so we got to do something. Our church, our, our, excuse me, our schools are out of control. Thank God for the first time. You know what's beginning to happen? The schools are saying we're out of control. We don't know what to do, and they're turning to the faith base to, for the answers. I looked at him. I said, yes, sir. He said, what do you got to offer? I said, I'll tell you what we got to offer. We got Jesus Christ to offer. He didn't like that part of it. He said, well, I don't know if we can go that far or not. I said, buddy, let me tell you, if you don't get to that point, you're not going to get anywhere because that's where everything lies. And we begin to talk. And right now there's open doors beginning to happen where eventually after the first of the year, I'll have our first meeting and we're having a meeting with my children's director and my youth director and myself and my associate director with some officials and we're going to see what we can do to turn around the chaos that's in our schools. Can I have an amen? Don't tell me revival. I said, don't tell me revival ain't here. The line of the tribe of Judah's on the move. Can I have an amen? Everybody's discouraged because we didn't have a red wave. Everybody's discouraged of what's going on in politics. Well, I want to tell you, quit looking at the politics. Lift up your head. Look to the hills to where your strength cometh from. Your strength cometh from the Lord. Yeah. 
Oh, my. I thought I was going to preach a short sermon here today. And I seen that spirit on Susan Tidwell tell my, he ain't going to preach short. <laughs> hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Hallelujah. Floods are trouble. We're being bombarded on every side. This is where many of you are at right here today. Like that, like that of David. Confused. Asking questions. He asked it. David has said, how is it that all my troubles seem to increase? What's happened here? Why has trouble increased and accelerated in my life? What's changed? Time has changed. Seasons has changed. America's reaping what she sowed. She sowed to a whirlwind and the whirlwind's come. It's here. When we talk about harvest time, not only are we going to have a harvest of the new people coming in as we sow seeds, but we're also harvesting seeds that we've sown for the last 40 years that hasn't been good. Can I have an Amen. So there's gonna be a fight right in the middle of the spiritual harvest that we're about to reap. It's troublesome times. However, I want you to hear the words of Jesus in John 14 and one we read over and we just don't pay much attention to. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Oh, wow, that, we hear that all the time. Talk about heaven, talk about the mansions later on. But Jesus isn't telling you to deny, ignore your problems. I wanna teach you a little bit on this faith stuff. Denial isn't, I mean, denial, you're denying your problems, denial in itself isn't faith. Ignoring problems does not cause them to go away as if they never existed. An ostrich can go out and stick his head in the sand all he wants, but you still see his hind end. Now, I'm on internet, that ain't the best word to use, but it's a deadly word. Positive confession or positive thinking in itself is a faith. Hang with me. Faith will produce positive thinking, but positive thinking alone is not faith. It's actually secular humanism. Man attempting to overcome by mind control. If I can just control my mind, then I can make things happen. You don't have the ability or the power in you to do anything according to Jesus' own teaching. Without him, you are nothing. Come on now. It's good that we work on our attitudes. It's good that we try to watch our language. It's good. All that's good, but that within itself will not cause you to overcome your problem. There are all kinds of people walking around confessing, holding a positive attitude, ignoring their problem as if that problem does not exist, and yet most of the time, you know what? They end up consumed. Oh, I feel a hindrance right now. Jesus doesn't tell you to ignore your problem as if your problems don't exist. But what he does do, he directs your attention to himself. He said, if you believe God, believe also in me. The root of faith, the seed of faith, lies not in a thought in itself, but it lies in a person. It's called Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Somebody, you're not getting it here. This is why that God said in our text, call upon me when you're in the day of trouble. He didn't say, ignore it, it'll go away. 
Act like it ain't there, it'll be all right. Keep a positive attitude, you'll overcome it, you'll wear it down. That's not what he said. He said, call upon me. And Jesus said, if you believe God, believe also in me. I want to say it again. The root of faith, the seed of faith, lies not in the thought itself, but in a person, and that is a person of Jesus Christ. That is in the only victory that we have. Through him and him alone. Can I have an amen? The ability to overcome does not lie within oneself. It lies in the person of Jesus Christ. There is a divine invitation for Jesus to, to all of us from Jesus to call upon him in the day of our trouble. Matter of fact, what he say in 1 Peter 5 and 7? Casting all your care upon me because I care for you. What did he say in John 6 and 37? He that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. What did he say in James 4 and 8? If you'll draw nigh to me, I'll draw nigh to you. What did he say in Matthew 11, 28? He said these words, Come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lonely in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. What did he say in the book of Isaiah 1 and 18? Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. We have all kinds of invitations from Jesus to come to him. Amen? Most people whine about their problems, gripe about their situations. They fear their circumstances, but they do very little praying. Troubles hit. They want everybody else to pray, but they themselves, when you really ask them, how much time have you put in prayer with it? Very little. Can I remind us here today that prayer still works. <laughs> Do you believe that? Can I remind us here today that prayer is the most important thing that we can do during the time of our troubles. You cannot and will not overcome trouble without praying. It's impossible. Ignoring it, trying to outlast it, trying to survive it, it will not give you the victory over your trouble, but it will cause your troubles to overtake you. James says you have not because you don't ask. Matthew chapter seven, verse seven through eight says, ask and you shall receive. Seek, you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. Everyone that asketh, receiveth. He that seeketh, findeth. And him that knocketh, it shall be opened to him. Sometimes trouble is designed to get us to cry out. That's what God all, wants all along. Because people do very little praying, not only in the times of trouble, but they're almost completely non-existing when it comes to when people are living in good times. At least in troublesome times, people pray more than when good times is here. But that's why we fall into bad times a lot of times because we don't keep ourselves under the hedge of protection. God does nothing but to the answer a prayer. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but a prayerless soul is a Christless soul. It was Andrew Boner that said this in 1853. God likes to see his people shut up to this. Now listen to what he's saying. This is where God wants his people placed. This is where he wants them shut up to that there is no hope but in prayer. Herein lies the church's power against the world. He says, this is when you have power against the world. This is, no, this is when you're really gonna be able to have the ability to change things. This is when the church is gonna be able to have its highest ability of exercising its power. When? When it comes to realize there is no hope outside of prayer. When you get to the place, there's no hope outside of anything that we're doing. America is at a crossroads. And I'm here to tell you, I will prophesy it, I will declare it, call me a false prophet if you want to. 
But I'm here to tell you we're at a crossroads where the only thing that's going to save America is prayer. Hot, effectual, fervent prayer. We come in and we treat prayer like, well, I'll pray for 10 minutes and, you know, we're done. Our nation's going to hell in a handbasket and we can't even find words to pray over 10 minutes. We've lost the ability to understand the urgency of the hour where we're at. We have lost the urgency. We're all in this building believing the Palace of Praise has preached for over 30 years of the coming revival and how that we're gonna be the remnant church and how that we are the called out ones and we have been prophesied over and over and over. All that is good and dandy, but it will not come to pass until we understand that there has got to be a level of prayer in our hearts that causes us to bend our knees in a broken and a contrite spirit and that is the one that God's not going to despise. Can I have an amen? Spurgeon wrote, the condition of the church may be accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. So the prayer meeting is a grace meter. And from it, we may judge the amount of divine working among a people. If God be near a church, it must pray. And if he be not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be a church that's slothful in prayer. Amen? Andrew Murray said, God's intense longing to bless seems to be graciously limited by his dependence upon intercession. God regards intercession as the highest expression of his people's readiness to receive and yield themselves wholly to the working of his almighty power. In other words, what he was saying is, until they intercede, they're not ready for what I've got to give them. God can't give us things if we're not ready for it and not prepared for it. He can only trust his, his riches and his anointing to those in whom is interceding, those that's paying the price, that understand, that's been enlightened, that have a relationship with him. Look at what Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 16 says, seeing then that we have a great high priest, a priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast the profession of our faith. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmity, but is in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find help in our time of need. We can obtain mercy and find help in our time of need only when we approach the throne of God in prayer. Instead of letting troubles trouble us, we're supposed to take the authority over the trouble by carrying them to Jesus and laying them there. Can I have an amen? Have you ever just been so burdened and found that relief by taking that burden and just laying it at the feet of Jesus? Saying, Lord, I confess. Somehow we try to impress God. I rebuke this thing in the name of Jesus. Get gone. We say that for about 10 years and it's still there. Now, I'm not saying there's not a time of rebuking and I'm not saying there's not a time of binding and loosening. I'm not saying that. But I want to tell you something. If we try to do it and, and shorten the process and able to obtain it, we're wasting our time. And what God wants us to understand is, is that this body's got to come to a place where we lay our burdens at the feet of Jesus and say, I'm not personally able to do this. There's some of you that got problems as a pastor. I got to suck it up, buttercup. I got to say, I can't do one thing about that. Hello? Some of you say, well, I'm not coming to you, but I know a man who can. <laughs> let, me, 
let me, let me finish. I can't do anything about, but I know a man who can come and let me introduce you to him. And we can pray the prayer of agreement together. And it won't be a deliverance from the hand of a minister. It won't be the hope and the encouragement if I could just get close to so-and-so. It's not got anything to do with so-and-so. It's got to do with getting close to Jesus. We got to be like the woman with the issue of blood. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. It's that kind of determination. How many of you got a determination to touch Jesus here this morning? How many, how many are so hungry saying I've tried it my way and it don't go so well? I've done everything I've known to do. I've done my Jericho marches. I've done rebuking. I've, been, I've done binding. I've done loosening. I've done crying. I've done it all. But God, my troubles are still here. What do I got to do? And Jesus is just saying, this battle is not yours, it's mine. Just roll it over to me. And then when you roll it over to me, I'll tell you what your part is in it. I'll tell you then what you got to do. But the problem of it is you've tried to impress me with your religious garbage. You've tried to put on Saul's armor and you said I gotta have this and I gotta, I, you gotta be all shiny and polished and you gotta have an image. God don't want you to have an image. God don't want you to be all shiny and polished. God wants you to be broken and crushed. It's then that the wine can come forth. It's then that the Holy Ghost can take you. Those broken pieces before God, that contrite, humbled spirit and God can lift you up in due season and use you for a time of an awakening for him. Hallelujah. Ha! Ha. Let your heart not be troubled. Peace doesn't exist in a set of atmosphere. Well, if I could just get an atmosphere of peace but it's in a person. The person is Jesus. I'm not gonna get finished with this. I gotta get to one point and I'll quit. Andrew Murray stated, <laughs> the power of press rests in the faith that God hears it. And the moment I'm assured that God hears, I feel drawn to pray and to persevere in prayer. A man that don't believe that God's gonna pray, answer prayer, don't pray much. But if one's convinced that God's gonna hear us when we pray, you can't keep him from praying. And people say, what's wrong with the Church of America? Why can't you get them to pray? Because they don't believe God will answer their prayer. We can say whatever we want. Well, we're too big. No, it's, you don't believe God will answer it. If you knew right now you could pray one specific prayer and God at this very minute would answer it, what would you be doing right now? You'd be praying it. Can I have an amen? But in the face of problems, there is a promise. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. Don't always come when we want it or the way we want it or the way it's packaged. But God promises to deliver. That's God's solemn promise. Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. Did you know that God is a delivering God? God heard the children of Israel in Egypt. He delivered them through the wilderness. He split the Red Sea. He led them by fire by night, a cloud by day. He caused water to come out of a rock. He caused quail to fly in. He caused manna to fall out of the sky. He caused the clothes to last for 40 years. Woo! What, what a clothes designer. He drowned the most powerful military force on the face of the earth in the sea. 
I heard a story of a little boy that was in the classroom. They have said this in many different ways in the book I read it out of. It was a true story. I don't know if it is or not, but it's been said for 50 years, I think. The little boy was sitting in the classroom and they had an assignment to tell one of their favorite stories of something they've read or something they've heard. And he told the story about the children of Israel being delivered by Moses through the Red Sea. The teacher happened to be an atheist. And when she heard the little Johnny or Susie or ever who it was tell the story, she corrected the child and said, that story's not right. Said, did you know that history tells us that where Moses led them across the Red Sea, it's only knee deep. And the little boy just started, woo! He got all excited. Thank you, teacher. I've never heard that. You have so encouraged me today. He said, well, how in the world have I encouraged you with that? God drowned up the biggest army in the world in knee deep water. If God said it, it's done. He's a delivering God. If God says he'll deliver, he'll deliver. He'll come through for you. Our God is a deliverer, but deliverance to the children of Israel was on the basis of them hearing his, him hearing their cry. You remember when the disciples were out on the boat and they were facing the storm? The Bible says Jesus would have passed them by, but he heard them cry out. And their cry got his attention. Folks, God is a very present help in the time of need. David understood this when he wrote Psalms 116, verse one through nine. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplication. Because he has inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. The sorrows of death can pass me and the pains of hell got a hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow, David said. Then called I upon the name of the Lord. Oh Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous, yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserved the simple. I was brought low and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. For thou hast delivered my soul from death and my eyes from tears and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. He said, God delivered me. He wrote again in Psalms 138, verse seven and eight. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou will revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thy hand against the wrath of my enemies and thy right hand shall save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. I love this. Right in the middle of him crying about it of his difficulties, he makes an admission. He says, right in the midst of it all, he's crying out and he's saying, hey, the, hand, the Lord's gonna raise up and stretch forth his hand against the wrath of my enemies. He's gonna save me by his right hand. He's gonna do all these things. And then he makes an omission. He's gonna perfect that which concerns me. In other words, I don't have it all together. Even when I don't have it all together, when there's some loose ends, when I've not been as strong as I should have been, when maybe I've not been where I needed to always been, Maybe I, when I shouldn't be, I, I'm not behaving the way I should have always behaved. In the midst of all that, my God's still with me. He ain't forsaken me. Watch this. He goes on and he says, he says, his mercy, thy mercy, O Lord, endure forever. When I don't have it all together, your hand's still there to save. You're still there to wipe out my enemies. 
you're still there to take up for me. Can I have an amen? And he said, and you know something? I have found out, David said, for you will not forsake the works of your own hands. I'm a work in progress. <laughs> He's the potter, I'm the clay. And every once in a while, old Kent gets out of alignment in his back and he has to go to a chiropractor. And that chiropractor says, whoa, boy, you're out of alignment. And he starts putting me on a table and pop, poop, pop, bang, bang. And it hurts for a moment of season of time. But when he gets it all aligned, oh, I feel so much better. And there's times spiritually I don't have it all together. There's times my mind's tired and I make flub ups. There's times my personality jumps before wisdom jumps. There's times my mouth speaks before I should say a word. Come on, somebody. Don't look at me pious like that. I may have been a preacher for 36 years, but I still have flesh issues. I haven't arrived. I press toward the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus, but I've not yet arrived. And when a man thinks that he standeth, take heed lest he fall. He's lifted up in pride. Yes, there's wars. Yes, there's issues. Yes, I don't have it all together. Yes, there's some flaws. Follow me around. You'll see them once in a while. Follow me around. You'll laugh at them once in a while. Follow me around. You'll feel sorry for me once in a while. But I'm here to tell you through it all, through the stumble and the messes and the falls and the bruises and everything else, I want you to know God will perfect that which is wrong and he will not forsake the work of his own hands. He was begun a good work in me. He will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna over preach if I don't stop. Would you stand? Huh.